Did you know Rob Farrell's Leading Saints podcast interview has over 100,000 downloads? Yeah, it seemed everyone loved it. After that interview, we actually invited Rob Farrell to a Leading Saints live event and told him he could take as much time as he wanted. Well, he ended up teaching for four plus hours and don't worry, we recorded it. It's all part of the Leading Saints Core Leader Library and we want you to watch it at no cost. Simply go to leadingsaints.org 14 and you can gain access to not only Rob Farrell's four hour presentation, but also to 100 plus hours of all other leadership related content that we have in the Core Leader Library. You're gonna love it. So simply visit leadingsaints.org 14 and get started. So my name is Kurt Frankum, and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now, I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog, and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast, and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And now I get the opportunity of an of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called How I Lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, how is it that you lead? And they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book, that should be behind a PhD. They're, uh, they're usually that good. And uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy's doing. And I remember being a leader, just simply wanting to know, okay, I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the other guy doing? What's working for him? And so that's why every Wednesday or so, we publish these How I Lead segments to share. In this episode, uh, where we typically talk to people about how they lead, we are headed to Hawaii, which I don't think I've done too many interviews in Hawaii, but it definitely isn't my first, but and it hopefully won't be my last. But we're here with a panel of guests, and we have uh, Marlies, Larray, and Jermaine. And so uh, let's just first get put you all into context, who you are. You're all in the same stake, and we're going to talk about a special trek, uh, a cultural trek that you all helped organize and and uh, man we any 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 trek talk I know there's a lot of uh, stake leaders out there that, or world leaders I guess that lean in because uh, everybody seems to have to take their turn with uh, putting on a trek and so the more we can learn the better but uh, Marlies I guess you're the one that initially reached out to me is that right Yes awesome. yes uh, we had this wonderful experience um, my husband and I were asked uh, to join this committee for our stake. Uh, Trek, uh, but we called it uh, Huakai, and um, so being part of this committee was 
eye-opening. It was a wonderful experience. And I just thought afterward, you know, this would be something that other leaders would appreciate knowing, and maybe it could spark some inspiration for them in their own areas. So awesome. that's why I contacted you. Cool. Well, I'm glad you did. And, um, and now we're recording. So this is cool. So Larray, what, what was your involvement in this? Okay. So as, um, I was the stake young women's president and I had an advantage to being able to participate in the last trek, which was four years prior. And we did do a traditional trek. So I've got to see, that went through and then be able to be part of this process. But I um, think learning, we wanted to go forward and do something a little different. And so uh, we decided that we'd like to set it up as a, uh, have a, a committee and a, uh, a separate committee chair where it wouldn't be the stake young men and young women presidents doing it and leading it. And so I'm so glad we tried that method, which is then why we have Jermaine um, and her husband who were the committee, um, heads, and then we stood by to support them in whatever ways that they needed. Cool. Awesome. And then, uh, you're all in the, the Hilo area on the Hawaii Island, the big Island is, I want to make sure we put this into context, especially those who are maybe more familiar with, with Hawaii. So is that, would you say a pretty, I mean, it's pretty, as far as the church goes in Hawaii, I know generally the church is pretty, I mean, it's very, it's thriving in Hawaii, but is that pretty traditional thriving area of, of Hawaii related to the church? Um, the church here in Hawaii is very much established. I mean, on all the islands, we have a long history uh, within the church. Joseph Fielding Smith, you know, served his mission here and, and deep roots, which is then where we did take off with the Huaka'i and uh, helping our youth to explore that that area. Yeah. Using the history of our saints here. So. Yeah. So maybe speak to me just about the tradition of, of youth treks in, in Hawaii. Um, <clears throat> obviously being born and raised in Utah, you know, I did my own trek as a youth and I participated some as a, an adult leader. It just seems like every four years or so, that's sort of what you do. And, and this tradition of, of, of a trek, sometimes it, you know, it's not uh, free of criticism at times where people think uh, it's very Utah centric or pioneer centric, you know, when in reality it's obviously, you know, the pioneers and, and migration and, and the, the history of our church, you know, there's, has a strong tradition and, uh, and, and the sacrifice that pioneers went through whatnot. So it seems like a natural thing to focus on with a group of youth, but just from a Hawaii standpoint, are most stakes in Hawaii doing some type of trek every four years or so? I uh, want to say, yes, they have done it. And then there've also been years where there are gaps where it didn't happen. And I, I want to, this is just my own perspective. It could be different somewhere yeah. else, but yeah. I think it has been a little bit different sometimes to connect to that whole pioneer um, narrative, which yeah. that's totally church culture. If you belong to the church, that is your culture, but difficult for our, our youth here in Hawaii to understand snow the whole ice, you know, all of that is yeah, really quite yeah. foreign to them. So uh, we did, like I said, do a traditional trek as best we could uh, back in 2017, or at least that's what I was able to participate and help plan. But, mm -hmm. you know, from that learning that we could do things that could help them to connect better with the same uh, principles, I think, but using something that they might be able to relate to a little bit better. Yeah. 
And Marlies, had you done any type of a trek before this one? No, been no. Even growing up, okay. it was a little bit before my time. It wasn't so, I mean, after my time, it wasn't so common <laughs> when I was growing up to do a trek. So I learned about them later on, like when I was in college or after. So this uh -huh. is totally new. Nice. Interesting. So, and the, the traditional trek that happens there, I mean, is it with hand carts or a lot of walking or, I mean, is it, does the landscape of Hawaii, I mean, I just think of like Jurassic Park movies when I think of Hawaii, you know, like just jungle and beaches or whatever, but is it tricky to do a traditional trek in, in Hawaii or? So the one that we did, we did have hand carts and they had hand carts that were passed on from years before that we did use. So oh, wow. they've done it, but the trick has always been to find a location that's going to allow us to safely walk and have an actual trek experience, right? Of walking and it being difficult. And we do have that kind of terrain, <laughs> but it's, uh -huh. it's difficult to find, you know, a, a location that's going to allow us to do that, right? Of course, we've got, we're doing it in the sun. <laughs> we're never going to uh -huh. have the kind of cold and that kind of thing. Nice. So. And Larray, were you, or Marlies, were you involved? Did you not come on the scene with this trek until they'd already decided to do more of a cultural uh, trek? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And so maybe Larray, just tell us a story. Like how were, were you in the meetings? Like how did this, was it just a typical correlation meeting where this idea came up or um, had there been, uh, you know, some fatigue with the traditional trek experience or, I mean, how did this idea surface? You know, I think that having participated in the last one, those same, those questions came up, right? About, okay, how are the kids, how are they relating to this? How, how does it make sense to them? You know, we're trying to connect things for them. And so it felt foreign. And so we did think that, you know, let, we've got to figure out a way to make this connect to them better. What better way mm -hmm. than um, with their own cultures. But now that's another issue as well, because when you look at the background of each of the youth here, we have such a variety, right? Hawaii is the melting pot. <laughs> we don't yeah, just have yeah, that's for Hawaiian, sure. right? We have Filipino, we have Samoan, we have all kinds, right? And so why did we just choose one culture to 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 focus on? You know, because there would just be too many, right? So we chose Hawaiian because we are in Hawaii. And what better way to yeah. pay tribute to this place, this beautiful place that we live in, which is why... Uh, I think we decided to go there, but I think a lot of it was as we um, prayerfully chose our committee chair pe people, right? So Jermaine and her husband, and then as they put together their committee, and then also with that committee, then they solidified, solidified that idea. You know, they were throwing out ideas and, and um, I love that idea about councils, right? How the, the church and the Lord has said councils is the way that it goes, right? Is is that scattered uh, revelation, right? Brought all together and everyone's experiences all led to Hawaiian culture. That's where the forte was in this, the committee that they had put together. And they could all agree that that was going to be the best way to, to reach, reach the youth and to create that. And even those who weren't, Hawaiian, right? There are youth who don't have uh, Hawaiian as part of their ethnicity, um, but we live here. So this is how we connect. We live in this place. So, yeah. And then tell me about the, the name. How, how do you pronounce the name of the, the track again? Huakai. Yeah. And, and what's the significance of that, that word? 
okay, well, I, let me just give you a real brief, um, you know, in the Hawaiian language, we call, um, the word is kauna. Kauna is where you, um, one word can mean so many different things. There's so many mm. hidden meanings behind it. And then I'm sure that's the case for many cultures, but huaka'i, um, it just by itself means like an excursion or taking a trip. Okay. But if you were to break that word up, hua by itself means a uh, fruit or an offspring or the result of something, the effect of something. Hmm. And then ka'i means to lead or direct or lift up and carry something. So there's just so much in that, right? We're going on a trip. We're going on a trek. We're going on a hua ka'i. But yeah. at the same time, the hua we're, is our youth is all of us. We are all the fruit of the labors of our kupuna, our ancestors, our parents, uh, leaders ahead of us who have done so much work and service and love. We are the result of their love. And then with the idea that hoping that our, our youth are going to uh, grow their faith and their testimonies as a result of this time spent together, um, that they're going to be able to later kai or lead their families themselves their friends anybody that they come in contact with um to to the savior the same way that our loved ones did for us so just wow, so much wrapped up in that name itself you know just from excursion no this is not just an excursion right so yeah that, that's really fantastic marlies maybe just give us the like 35,000 foot view of what this was like, what's a cultural trek look like and, and how did it differ? I mean, what, what, what is this thing that we're talking about? Maybe just give us a, a summary of it all. Well, we, it was three days. Um, or was it four days? Was it four days? It was four days, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So we broke them up into different areas. Um, so our first day was the Kai or the ocean. So we did everything from um, net fishing, laying net, uh, fishing, cleaning the fish, learning how to clean the fish, learning about ocean life, um, and learning to the uh, va'a or the canoe navigators. Um, and then the second day was Kula, which was the land that's near the ocean. So we did um, lauhala weaving and kihei stamping, like um, stamping made from traditional plants and uh, learning um, a ha'a, sanding, carving, um, an awamo stick, um, makihiki game. So a lot of cultural um, activities. And then our third day was uka or upland area. And we visited a kalo farm or taro farm. And we did poi pounding. Um, and then that night we came back and all the wards had prepared a performance for the hoike. So a, a lot of whatever their ward wanted to do, whether it was a hula or a song or a skit, whatever we, we shared that. And then our last day um, was Lani is the, the heavens. So we had our testimony meeting, but also scattered, scattered in that we had um, interviews. Some of the youth had talked to Kupuna in the area or some of the elderly people that um, had been members, some of the pioneers of our wards oh, wow. and had done interviews with them. And so we showed that. Um, and then um, many of the youth also did, they were all invited to do um, like an ancestor poster. So we had an ancestor gallery walk where they could learn about 
um, all of their different ancestors. So we really, it was jam packed full of activities, but really an immersive experience. So we weren't just sitting there listening about, um, about the pioneers of Hawaii. It was actually going out doing these cultural activities and working together and get it, getting a taste of, of what um, our Hawaiian ancestors did and also getting to experience that, um, those cultural uh, traditions. Wow, nice. Any, anything you'd add to that, Lori? Um, I think I would add that in all of that, there was so much preparation as well. Like there were activities before the trek, you know, like months ahead that they had mm. to prepare for, right? They had to prepare their sticks. They had to prepare their posters. That took time to research. And and that's kind of how it was designed, where they take the time and energy. Leaders, parents, youth alike had to put work in, you know, even to the point of gathering leaves with thorns and cleaning it to prepare it for this activity that was going to happen. And so that if you didn't prepare, I mean, you could still participate. You know, we, there's always a loving leader that's going to prepare extra for those who didn't come. But but your your experience is just that much richer because you did all the preparation that was required. And so when you got there, you were ready for everything. And so I think that doing all of those activities that Marlies uh, mentioned came with a lot of preparation that needed to be done before so that they could really fully enjoy just what was presented. Yeah. And then was there any, uh, I know as far as after the, the experience, was there, you know, follow-up fireside or sacrament talks or anything? There were, um, each ward could choose to do that. I know in our ward, we had several of the youth come and, and speak about their Huakai experience. So that was wonderful for those that were not able to come or, you know, just people in the ward and, to know what the youth were doing. So there was a, there was a lot of talk about that. And I think the next uh, fast and testimony meeting, there are still more youth that got up and, and talked about their experience and leaders also. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm just thinking like, uh, you know, obviously with the traditional pioneer track part, a lot of the part of the story is that, you know, there was a lot of walking going on, right. And pulling handcarts and things. And so did you still do a, a trek like that where you're you're covering a lot of ground by, by walking each day or was that different? It was different. I, I don't think we, we didn't necessarily uh, walk a lot of ground, but built into it with like the format that Marley shared, you know, we went down to the ocean and then we had um, workshops on another day of learning. Right. And then we went to the, uh, so we, we covered a lot of ground in that way, meaning we went from the ocean then to workshops and then we went, uh, to a Kahlo farm, which was several hours. Actually, that was our trek, yeah, Marlise, on the buses, <laughs> you know, um, because it really was on the others, you know, a couple hours away uh, to get there. And then, of course, um, spiritually, you know, so we kind of covered ground that way, not necessarily in the physical walking. Yeah, interesting. And then, uh, so it sounds like, I mean, it wasn't, it was sort of in that in between of maybe a traditional trek and a, a traditional youth conference, right? Where you're, you're, you're not necessarily walking a lot in youth conference, but you're having different activities, but this is focused on culture and ancestry and those types of things that, uh, to make it more of an experience of connecting with your, your past, right? 
Yes. And I do feel like we tried to in every of, of the meetings, of course, I didn't attend all those meetings because like we said, we tried to keep it as um, the, the committee heads doing their thing. And then as they needed mm-hmm. us to come, they'd invite us to come to certain meetings and we'd report, you know, would report to us. And if they had questions or anything, then they would ask us for help and things like that. And so we tried to leave that for them to, you know, have uh, make decision making things happen in the committee. And, and that maybe leads to my question of as far as just like uh, adult leadership support, um, you know, you talk about these, these committees and whatnot and, you know, traditional tricks, they'll do ma and pause, you know, that where it's natural to break them up into groups uh, and whatnot, and then have, you know, specific adult leaders over those groups. Did, were you doing something similar or maybe just unpack what the dynamic of the adult leaders, like how many and what they did? We did actually try to do that. You know, they've got that handbook, right? That trek and reenactment handbook. It's a whole book full of all of the things and all the components that you would normally have. And I, I believe we did okay. uh, do our best to follow that. Um, so when you asked that question about whether or not we had those ma's and pa's, and we did, but we didn't call them ma and pa because in Hawaii, we call them our makua. Makua is the word for parents. And we did pick mm-hmm. um, uh, husband and wife teams to be the parents of the groups okay. and we had mixed groups oh, cool. of from all the different wards because we wanted the youth to have that experience of getting to know others not just within their own wards but we kept them in um age group age group so that we could um you know developmentally and uh, the way they interact with each other uh would be uh, more similar i think by keeping them in age like that and so yeah that was that was um purposeful because so many of our youth, our state covers one half of our island and it's a, it's a big island. And mm-hmm. so some of the youth, especially because of COVID and um, just our, our school situation, there's uh, private schools, there's public schools. So you don't necessarily go to the same school as those even in your own ward. And because we hadn't had a lot of stake activities during COVID and people, the, the youth were so isolated that um, there were a lot that didn't even know each other that, that they were members. Like my son, um, when, when he went to Huakai, he realized that he had people in his class that were members and he didn't know. So we thought it was really important that they be in those age groups to get to be able to bond with each other, understand um, kind of that, that same oh, age wow. group, you know, what they were going through, experience that together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another point you just mentioned there that this was during COVID that you pulled this off. What, what, uh, what summer was it? Actually, it happened just this past spring, spring oh, break. Okay. And so things oh, okay. were just beginning to open up. Um, yeah, and just beginning to open up and we, you know, we still had to have the kids, did we have, we did have them. They were wearing masks part of the time. Well, inside, inside. inside. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, the, they were ready. They, they just, it was spring break. They wanted to be outside. You know, we, they got to go to the beach and get in the water and just, you know, things that we hadn't been able to do before they were able to do. It was just the timing of everything was, it was great. Okay. So it worked yeah. out. Nice. Awesome. You mentioned you had, uh, like, did you charter buses uh, for this in order to take everybody to a specific location? And how did that work we as did. far as travel? We chartered buses. Um, 
luckily it was spring break, like we said, right? If not, they wouldn't have been available to us. But, you know, one of the uh, interesting things also is during that time, there was some road work happening um, that did not allow us to take the normal route we would to this location. It The normal route would have taken us maybe about 45 minutes to an hour to get there had we gone the normal. But because traffic patterns were not normal, we had to go double that time. It took us two and a half hours to get there because we had to go around. So anyways, just interesting the kinds of um, things that came about uh, that we normally wouldn't have planned for, but did. And it just really helped shape the experience that happened, right? Marlies kind of mentioned with the, the buses, the chartered buses, this long two and a half hour that should have been only an hour allowed the youth to have the party bus experience. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Nice. But, and then once you got there, I mean, there was a little bit of traveling on the bus each day, but I mean, it wasn't long travel day to day. No. Yeah. No. Awesome. And then where did you, uh, where did they sleep or, you know, I know with the traditional trek, you're camping under the stars some nights and, <laughs> but so right. how did that work? Yeah. So we didn't, we didn't sleep over because of oh, okay. so that was one of the COVID things, right. When we were uh, originally yeah planning it would have been like camping out and and that was one of the things we were trying to overcome so it was like a it really was like a a, a glorified or ex, a huge youth conference yeah yeah everybody went home but we packed those days they came early and they stayed late and we just really called on the parents to be as supportive as they could to you know we know it's late nights we know it's early mornings but please just have them there and ready yeah so and now with less and less restrictions, I mean, would it be, if you were to do it again, you would probably do an overnight type of thing or camping or whatnot? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. We would have done an overnight several days, same way. Uh, yeah. Cool. Right. When we originally were planning this, like, what was it? Six, nine months ahead of time, we were still well into COVID. So we didn't even know for sure yeah. until it got closer, if we'd be able to to even do what we did. Yeah. Interesting. And then, um, th so how many, you know, you talk about the, um, the adult, uh, support and whatnot, how many like, uh, individuals did you need to ask the words to provide or call for, for the event? Our committee, we had maybe six, eight couples and then our stake young men and young women's president. We had, um, the Makua, um, I'm trying to think now how many groups we had eight or nine groups. And so there were quite a few adults involved. It was a massive effort. Mm -hmm. And we, we scheduled um, monthly meetings um, online yeah. with the, with the wards. So the wards knew what to do to prep each month. Um, Cause we had a list of different things they had to go out and collect or go out and do. And so um, we, it, it was, it was really well organized. They could, so we could have that cooperation. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, any, any other component or dynamic that we're, that we haven't discussed or, or impact yet, as far as how the whole event went? Um, we called on a lot of people in the stake to help with, um, the cultural activities, which was amazing. They really, I mean, from even, um, showing us how to throw net, you know, so they, the net goes out and then the youth go in the water and they're splashing the fish. They're like in a forming a line and they're splashing the fish into the net, you know, and then they have to, they have to gather <laughs> so cool. it and bring it in. And then, you know, they're, 
they're cleaning the fish. So they're using the the um, opihi, the the limpet shells to like clean the fish. And, you know, we had it fried up for dinner that night. So wow. I mean, just so many, so many people that came and gave of their time and of their expertise. Yeah. To um, to help enrich all the activities. It, it was a, a huge effort, but we're so grateful for um, just what they were willing to give. Wow. What an experience. And I'm just thinking, you know, back when I was a youth, I think I learned how to four square dance, you know, rather than getting in the ocean and, and throwing net and whatever. But hey, I guess when you're in Hawaii, you might as well take advantage of those things. So I think I think that that was the hope, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you live here in Hawaii, you know, we, we're on an island that t- uh, could possibly be isolated. Uh-huh. Right. Um, if the shipping barge is stopped. You really do have to rely on the ocean and your surroundings to survive. Yeah. And so these activities we had hoped would be um, things that they can, real life skills, right? I mean, if even if you didn't, you know, you've got a net, you've got a whole bunch of friends, let's get in the water, you know, and, and that was something, I mean, the place we went to, I know that there's fish, we've done it before. Um, but I still had to, you know, our prayers of faith was... I hope we have enough to feed everybody, you know, that kind of thing. And, and there was, and there was more than enough, you know, but that these kids went away with skills or at least understanding that if I need to, I can, this is where it is. I've seen it done. And if I work hard enough, I can do this too. Yeah. You know, what would you say just in, in terms of, just the youth experience, what they came out about, what were they saying coming away from that or what, what do they remember most or reflect on anything, anything come to mind? Well, this is the thing at, a, at the testimony meeting. Um, we just realized that they gained different things out of mm-hmm. it. Um, and, and that's kind of one of the principles we wanted to talk about was this idea of a spiritual buffet as sometimes we prescribe what, when they're going to feel the spirit mm. and what activities are the spiritual activities. But, um, because they were so engaged, we heard a huge variety of, um, of their experiences and what it meant to them, things that we wouldn't have thought. And one of them was the party bus. I was on the party bus and it was a, a bunch of kids. You would never in a million years, <laughs> put together and and have them singing but they were just singing just random songs off the radio they were singing um you know 80s music they were singing disney songs you know and um you know these these big hawaiian boys you know out in, <laughs> in honolulu we just wouldn't would never have thought they would but they loved it and and it was not a reverent bus i mean they were loud they were <laughs> you know, just singing along at the top of their lungs. And then um, so many of them got up at testimony meeting and just said that it, it just meant so much to them because they just felt like they could connect with each other. They just felt the spirit. They just felt it strengthened their testimony. So mm. that was an important thing for us to learn is that um, the youth can feel the spirit in all these different activities and if we give them a variety of activities to engage in, that they will take out of it what they need. Yeah. What a great point. Just just getting in the mindset that all activities you do, even if it's a simple bus ride bef- between activities, all activities are a spiritual activity because some connect spiritually 
in ways that others don't. Right. And, uh, and I think we just have this long tradition of like, you know, we want to, I think, uh, I think this has sort of died off with traditional treks, but you know, we do the, the Mormon battalion march, right. Where all the women are left behind to pull and, and we're trying to like orchestrate the spiritual moment where the women have to rely on their own strength and faith, which again, I can see why that could be powerful or, or, you know, interesting to explore, but sometimes we try too hard to orchestrate sort of this moment when in reality, it's like, let's just gather together, focus on Christ and, and focus on our ancestry and tradition. And, and through that, everybody's going to find that, that spiritual moment that really can't be forced or orchestrated. Yeah, definitely. That, that is definitely what happened. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's a huge point for all of us as leaders to remember, right? No matter what level of leadership we're at, that sometimes we just work so hard to, to overcomplicate something that doesn't need to be, Yeah, you know, spirit is going to do its job. Yeah. I'm just curious, like with hindsight, what are some of the big things that you change or do differently? You know, I think we, usually they do, we try to, and then within the church today, there's a lot of um, encouraging us to have the youth participate more in the planning process. And we, mm-hmm. I don't know that we, we did at the ward levels, right? Try to encourage the youth. Um, but I think more youth uh, engagement in the leadership planning portion, you know, but um, mm-hmm. like this wasn't charted before, right? For us, this was kind of new and you know it, it it came together in the way that it did so we definitely learned as leaders how this went but i think in hindsight i think more youth participation in the planning and leading portion of it could have been really good there there was initially like we had Lorraine didn't there was a survey sent out yes or there was a meeting and so we um had asked them what what kinds of activities they would like to do, what kind of food, what, you know, what would they like incorporated? And so some of the activities came from that. Yes, it did. It did. Yeah. Nice. So the first principle you have here is a cultural based trek is an opportunity to show the youth how their culture aligns with the gospel. And I know we've, we've touched on that to some extent, anything else in that, uh, in that topic that we haven't covered. Yeah, I think that um, here in Hawaii, sometimes because there's that cultural identity and there's also um, identity as a member of the church, that Mm -hmm. sometimes our youth see those as either or and they don't understand how they integrate. So we we had um, different Hawaiian values listed and uh, (laughs) and really they were all gospel values. And so we, we tried to focus as much as we could on how um, some of their, some of the things already in the culture, already some of our traditions, some of our values are really just the same as gospel values. And so they can integrate and we could be living um, the way we live according to our culture, right? And um, yet there, it's in harmony with the gospel. So I think sometimes we may focus on maybe practices or things that are maybe don't align with the gospel, but in reality, so much of, of a person's culture is really the gospel. It's just um, shaped by where you live or who you're surrounded with. Hmm. Anything you add to that, Lori? It may be just that we definitely did see that 
um, and hear that from one youth in particular after her experience. And um, every everyone's cultural experience is different, right? Based on their how much of the culture they're immersed in. And so this one particular youth has a lot of cultural immersion, right? She participates in uh, language, um, dancing, and and not until after this experience, I think, was able to really connect the gospel and the culture where she could see how it was it was similar and there was so much that were um the same yeah awesome jermaine you made it back i did <laughs> i went to the steak center and came right back <laughs> nice well i'm sorry you missed so much of our discussion but we'd love to to get your point of views as we as we wrap up here but um and then it uh, looks like the other principle here is a cultural-based track helps those inside and outside the culture to understand each other better. Any Anything else that we haven't touched on around that topic? I do want to say that the pioneers, the pioneers that are in Hawaii are just as important pioneers that made the trek across the plains. Um, and I think that it's important for our youth to see their kupuna or their grandparents as true pioneers who helped to build the church here when there was no temple, when there's no prophet around. So the extreme amount of faith that it took for our kupuna, our grandparents, to be able to build a church that um, was not established here and do it with such faith and what's such promise. I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, in a traditional trek, you may go back kind of 200 years to the, er the early church, but maybe in Hawaii, you only go back 100 years or whatever, depending on where you're at in the world. But still to focus on those people, the the struggle, you know, and, and the problems look different. You know, maybe they weren't burying people, burying babies on the on the pioneer trail, but they were, you know, sacrificing to make it to the temple or, you know, I'm sure you've got story after story about really uh, framing that that sacrifice so that they can connect to it personally thinking, no, that's, that's part of me and my heritage. Right. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, some my grandfather gave part of his land and his property to build the, um, church that's not no longer there, but it, nonetheless, it was a church that served the community mm -hmm. as well as the LDS church. And so the school across the street would have their Christmas programs and their, you know, banquets there. Yeah. And it was a church that my grandparents and parents were raised in. Um, we also did Kalua Pig or um, we had a garden that families grew and had white elephant in order for us to make it to the temple. And so the temple is on another island, but it's expensive. It's really expensive. Mm -hmm. And so for our youth to have the opportunity to go with their parents and grandparents, and they went as families to the temple. And so our youth stayed at BYU Hawaii during the summer for a week. So you would leave on a Tuesday and come back on a Saturday. And in that week, the youth participated at BYU Hawaii while the parents went and did temple work in Laie. 
And so these are really faith-promoting experiences that our children don't really know about because we have a temple here, so they don't know some of the sacrifices that our grandparents made for us. Yeah, yeah that's powerful. Yeah, adding to that, um, we had one one ward that for their um, cultural presentation for the Hoike, uh, they their ward we one of the wards in the building re, uh, split, and so their ward was moved to another building, and so they chose to talk about the um, the early saints in Hawaii who had sacrificed to build that building. And now we look at it and it's it's a little bit older, yeah, and we complain. <laughs> A lot about, you know, the bathroom's always breaking down and, you know, it's just older and there's some complaining. Um, but watching watching that and, and seeing those early pictures of the saints who fundraised and who built things with their own hands, you know, seeing that just gave us a greater appreciation for that building and, and loving it, even though, you know, the <laughs> carpet that's coming up or, you know, what you have there, but it gave us a, a real appreciation for those sacrifices, right? And and the other thing, Kurt, I didn't want to mention, for instance, in my ward, it's a very mixed ward of those uh, families that have been here for a while and families that are moving in. Um, it's a kind of a, a transient ward. And there's a lot of families from the mainland that come in. And um, sometimes, that cultural differences can lead to misunderstanding and and hurt um and some of our local youth that um, do have hawaiian ancestry can sometimes feel like um they're being a little bit disrespected because um because those that come in may not know context or may not understand a cultural background and and that happened they are youth for our ward we're learning a hula and you know some of the youth had never danced before felt very uncomfortable didn't understand really the background or context of hula and, and so some of the things they see on tv or or media you know they were kind of doing little movements and things that to some of the youth that grew up doing hula and it had great meaning it felt um very disrespectful so it was being able to talk about those things and um, letting the youth know um, what's what's proper and what's what's not, you know, what um, just bridging that gap culturally. And so I felt like it was a really great opportunity for some of those um, bridges to be to be crossed, right? To to work together. So the youth that may not know too much about um, Hawaiian culture or history, it helped them to be immersed in it and to feel like they understood it a little better. And then those that um, that already this is part of their culture to be able to see those that were trying to learn and trying to um, be a part of it too. Uh, it helped them to um, appreciate the efforts. You know, something else I did observe um, as a result of that is that we had a lot, we have a lot of youth in our stake who are um, language speakers. They are immersed in the Hawaiian language. And those youth tend to be shy and sometimes don't say a whole lot. But by the end of Trek or this Huaka'i experience, they were shining and they were leaders and they led all the youth, and I think because they felt confident in the things that they they know and they've learned about the culture, and that they could 
help others to connect and do, you know, to be part of that. They, there were things that they knew that they could teach and they felt comfortable doing it. And so it was such a great thing to be able to see those youth um, come out of themselves and, and really lead in those areas. I love that. Those are great experiences to hear about. Well, um, so just to, to recap of everything, like I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of those individuals listening, thinking, you know, we, we could do something similar to this. Um, and I want to make sure we just cover your, the, the big ideas, um, generally. So before in preparation, there were maybe some, some firesides, youth had assignments to maybe do some research about specific individuals, either in their personal family or just in the culture there and, uh, anything else generally that, that took place leading up to the trek? I, I mean, it's, <laughs> I think it's really short summary of what happened. So there was a huge uh, planning committee that happened. And I think the basis is having the hua and the ka'i. So the hua being the fruit and the ka'i being the journey into the fruit. That's cool. And man, we didn't even touch on, you know, traditional tricks. There, there's such this emphasis on dress code and what you can wear and what you can't wear. Was there, it sounds like there was some level of a, of a dress code or an encouragement of, of what to wear. Maybe talk about that. Yeah. So um, Marlise is wearing the shirt. Oh, nice. And so this has a lot of significance. We really need to share it to you. So the H over there in the front, that's really the the compass and that compass is set on Christ. So if you get closer and you can see it and we'll send it to you, it's really centered on Christ and it's a sun. The U there, let's see, I can't really see. There it is. That stands for the Kihei. And so a Kihei is a piece of cloth that they worked really hard on and they had to stamp their generation. So um, a generation before them, their generation, and their future generation. So it's kind of like linking their fathers to their sons and their sons to the fathers and the children. And so thinking about teaching children that you matter, but you matter in a bigger picture. And so that is represents the kihei that they use. The middle one is our Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And it's also a, a symbolism of our mauna which is our mountain here that's really covered with snow right now, oh, really? which is interesting oh, wow. for your <laughs> listeners. Yes. And we'll send you a picture yeah, of that. Awesome. But it's Mauna Kea. It's, it's a sacred Mauna, Mauna to us. And it's something that we all can see from all from Keao to Puna. We all can see. And it kind of like it's the pinnacle of our, our, our island. The K there, there is a Kalo. And the kalo is really a tarot. And this is something that grounds us as ohana. So the oha or that stem, that word oha, it feeds into ohana. And really ohana means family. And so this ties us and the youth got to go and not pull the kalo, but pound the kalo and make paiai, which is the, the thing right before poi. And for you, it might be okay. mashed potatoes, but for us, it's, it's gold. <laughs> um, but it's a staple food, and it's not only nourishing, but it's just beautiful, yeah. absolutely beautiful. And we eat all parts of the kalo, but we also replant, and we, we make that generation keep living and living 
by picking little um, huli or, or the little baby shoots that come off. And that it's just such a beautiful thing to recycle that back. And we eat the leaves, we make lao lao. We, we just love using the kalo. Um, the next one is the e. I can't really see. Oh, that one was beautiful. That stands for a lahala or a pandanus. So if you know what a pandanus is, um, there's thorns on it. The youth had to go in prior to the huaka'i, go with their wards and pick it and strip it and cut into little pieces. And there's a stem that goes right in the middle made of bamboo. And the youth um, weave, and it's about marriage, eternal marriage, our heavenly uh, our mother, a father, and it's centered on that stem is Christ. And so not everybody got to finish that. That was a really mm. hard project. My grandmother was a weaver as well, and it takes a lot of time. And so we are so proud. Some people came out with a star. Some people came out with a bookmark. But the idea was to, you know, just to get their hands um, ma'a or used to weaving. There's an okina there. And so in English, we would say a glottal stop. So it looks like apostrophe, but it goes the other way. And that is called the... Um, umeke. umeke, like a umeke. gourd. Was but it's got a, a net yes. around the, the gourd. And so that is for the... the really, we, we took them holo-holo or fishing. And so they got to go holo-holo and lay net, chase the fish catch the fish, clean the fish, eat the fish. It was just amazing. It was just, it was things that we, we did as youth, but you know, I haven't done it for like 20 years. So it was amazing. And then um, the last one is the va'a. So um, the va'a is a canoe. And so really, when you read about Hagoth and all of that, that is how our ancestors came across the ocean. And um, the airplane was our va'a. And so we didn't take, there was no airplanes, but traveling between Samoa, Tahiti, New Zealand, Marcation Islands, and Hawaii was all through the va'a. And we had a, we, that's how we started. We had real navigators come and teach us about for food preparation and how food storage played an important role in storing for the trek because, you know, you can't order meals. There's no <laughs> McDonald's on, on a va'a when you're traveling between islands. So how important that was and the faith that took you to your next journey and always, you know, praying and relying on Heavenly Father for that journey. Wow. So that's how we... <clears throat> It was amazing. And yeah, so everybody that participated got a shirt that, that like that. And did they wear it most days or did you have other, any direction as far as dress code and things? So the shirt was mainly worn um, to the lo'i. So we call it a mala if it's on land or lo'i kalo if it's having water. And so that is the day that we journeyed and it was, it's, it's a while. So the kihei was worn on the last day with their Sunday best. Of course, for our first day, so we did a, 
I think they probably talked about it, but a kai kula ukalani. So kai, we started from the beach. Kula is the plains or the lands. Uka is the mountain and lani is the heavens. And so kai, of course, we did allow them to wear their bathing suits um, with t-shirts and, and shorts because they also did service projects. Perfect. Wow, what an experience. And I think it should just be mandated that we have to go to Hawaii, all, all stakes around the world to do the, the trek. So <laughs> what, a, what a fun experience. It would be great for whoever's in charge <laughs> the next time. So, uh, but then this is so fun to learn about. I know there's so many nuances and intricacies that uh, people will just kind of ex- explore and figure out on their own. Can I, can I just add that, like, that's so true about the way, um, you know, there was, there was councils and there was patterns and things that we talked about that, you know, when you set out to do something, you, you foresee it happening a certain way. We kind of touched on this a little bit before, but what we, I think everyone realized, or, or we know this, but to see it play out this way was that this is not our work. <laughs> and that was just very, very, um, clear as we moved through the planning process and we got closer and we ran into roadblocks and different things. But, but in the end, that this event really was not ours. It was the Lord's, you know, and, and what the outcome was is what our youth needed. Our youth. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, duplicate this exactly and have the same outcome because this was the way that it came out was the way that the Lord needed it to be for for these leaders for all of us as leaders I mean we all learned so much working together um, for these youth what they learned individually and together for the parents of these youth I believe there was learning you know it's just for so many that um, really this is the Lord's work <laughs> so that's what we saw happen And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email, on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense, and share it with somebody who could relate to this this experience. And this is how we how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's... That's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, uh, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org contact. Maybe send this in individual an email, letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them. And... Uh, See if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. Go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 to gain access to Rob Farrell's four-hour presentation at no cost. Visit leadingsaints.org slash 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.